0: All the secretary had said to King Josiah was, Hilkiah the priest has given me a scroll. But when Josiah heard its contents, he tore his clothes, a sign of extreme distress and mourning. Then the king sprang into action. The Bible is full of stories that we all know and love. But how well do we know them? The answer might surprise you. The Bible You Thought You Knew is going to dive deep into the exquisite details of the biblical stories that make them fascinating and transforming. This week's podcast features King Josiah. I suspect that for many of you, this Israelite king is not well known, if recognized at all. When we think of Israelite kings, the usual suspects are mentioned, Saul, David, and Solomon. Perhaps Ahab or Hezekiah will occasionally make the list, but after those names, most draw a blank. King Josiah is the Millard Fillmore of Israelite royalty. Of course, Millard Fillmore was a president of the United States. The poor man lives in hopeless obscurity. Well, U.S. citizens may be forgiven for not knowing anything at all about the Fillmore presidency. He was, after all, no George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, Abraham Lincoln, Franklin Roosevelt, JFK, Ronald Reagan, or Barack Obama in terms of public memory. However. Comparing King Josiah to President Fillmore is not fair in one significant way. King Josiah is acclaimed in the Bible as one of Israel's greatest kings. Indeed, he may have been the best of them all. Given such an accolade, how should we account for King Josiah being an Israelite figure that virtually no one remembers? Once again, Keep in mind that the title for this podcast is, The Bible You Thought You Knew. Enough said. King Josiah's story is recounted in 2 Kings chapter 22, verse 1 through chapter 23, verse 30, and 2 Chronicles chapters 34 and 35. We will cover this material in the next three podcasts two will be dedicated to the account in second kings and the third will deal with second chronicles which has a very different perspective from that found in kings my hope is that king josiah might get a little more recognition according to at least one biblical appraisal he is more than deserving however before we get to this intriguing story we need to note that Though he was indeed an Israelite king, more specifically, he was king of Judah. At first, Judah was merely the southern part of Israel, but after Solomon's reign, the country split in half. After that, two separate areas were governed by different political dynasties. The northern kingdom is called in the Bible Israel, or on occasion Samaria. The southern kingdom is referred to as Judah. These two kingdoms often were at war with each other, or at least not on friendly terms. Sometimes they were allied, mostly to deal with a stronger enemy. Still, those alliances never eventuated in a reunification of the northern and southern kingdom into a united Israel. As you might imagine, this division had theological implications. For one thing, the Israelite God orchestrated this schism in response to Solomon's outrageous promotion of foreign gods. For another thing, both the North and South thought of themselves as the legitimate continuation of united Israel. Naturally, that argument meant that they both believed that the Lord was on their side. However, the northern kingdom, Israel or Samaria, lost political autonomy in the 8th century before the Common Era. The Assyrians were responsible for that national disaster. That left Judah standing. Theologically, many in Judah believed that Israel's destruction and their survival indicated that God was indeed on their side. After all, all the kings in Judah were part of the original dynasty of King David, and God had famously promised that David and his descendants would be kings in perpetuity. Judah was still around over 100 years after Israel's ignominious defeat. King Josiah's story needs to be seen in this context. Josiah is introduced in 2 Kings with a standard formula in which his age when he began to rule is noted and how long his reign was. Also, his mother's name is given, Jadida Bath Adiah from Boscoff. Of course, we already knew his father, King Ammon, from the previous story in 2 Kings chapter 21. As well, this formula gives an initial appraisal of the king, which in this case was positive. Two features of this introduction are worth noting. One is that Josiah became king when he was eight years old. In a dynastic system, if a king dies prematurely, keep in mind that King Ammon was assassinated the oldest son, regardless of age, will ascend the throne. That happened with Josiah. A second noteworthy feature is that Josiah was not at all like his father or grandfather relative to his commitment to God. His grandfather, King Manasseh, was notorious for his idolatrous practices, one of which was offering his own son as a sacrifice, That's in 2 Kings 21. Ammon, Manasseh's son and Josiah's father, was just as bad. But King Josiah thankfully broke this depressing pattern by imitating David who, though flawed, became the standard for evaluating kings. All this is found in the first two verses of 2 Kings chapter 22 fast forward to Josiah when he was 26 years old, in verse 3 of chapter 22. At this point, the king was in the process of repairing the temple that Solomon had built in Jerusalem, and that story is found in 1 Kings chapters 7 and 8. It was a king's duty to deal with such practical brick-and-mortar matters. Basically, when this episode begins, King Josiah was doing a little bookkeeping to make sure the financial arrangements for the rebuilding project were being handled properly. So, the king ordered his secretary, Shaphan, who was a kind of chief of staff, to speak to Hilkiah, the high priest. Obviously, the high priest was a principal figure in the temple, dealing not only with religious affairs but financial and administrative ones as well. Shaphan was to have the high priest distribute funds that had been collected from the people to the various craftsmen who were working on the temple. Demonstrating his attention to detail, the king even mentioned the trades that were being employed, carpenters, construction workers, masons, and foremen responsible for purchasing wood, and stone products. Interestingly, the king told Shaphan that it was unnecessary for the money to be accounted for because he had confidence in the workman's honesty. That's in verses 3 through 7 of chapter 22. This activity is so mundane that one wonders what makes it biblical. Is not the Bible about God. Religious activity, spirituality, morals, and the like? Who cares that some king is taking care of everyday administrative needs? Yet, this is precisely how the Bible addresses these matters. The Israelite God is involved in every aspect of human activity, even the repairing of a temple. We have to be patient as we observe the narrative unfold. As it turns out, what seemed to be so, oh hum, turned out to be momentous. We learn how momentous when Shaphan returns to Josiah and reports that the financial transactions were taken care of as the king had asked. That's in verse 9 of chapter 22. But before we had any idea that the high priest had done as he was instructed, we are alerted to his announcing something right out of the blue. Quote, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. That's in verse 8 of chapter 22. A couple of translation notes are appropriate here. The word book should be translated scroll because it would be centuries before people knew how to make books. The word law, of course, is a translation of Hebrew Torah. Listeners to these podcasts will know that Torah does mean law, but so much more. Torah means instruction, teaching, story, liturgy, and a way of life. As a story, it narrates how Israel became Israel as the ancestors heeded God's electing call and eventually became a people in a covenant relationship with that same deity. Relative to scripture, Torah is the title of the first five books of the Bible. The house of the Lord is another way of referring to the temple in Jerusalem. What Hilkiah had said then was this, I have found the Torah scroll in the Lord's temple. Perhaps what the high priest said does not seem that earth shaking. Here is why it was. When Israel was about to occupy the Promised Land, the Lord admonished Joshua, Israel's leader at the time, how important it was for the people to pay attention to the Torah scroll. That's in verses 7 and 8 of the first chapter of the book of Joshua. Israel's life depended on how they responded to this material, including the story on which Israel's identity was based as well as how Israel was being instructed to live. Once Israel got into the land, Joshua read the Torah scroll in the hearing of all the people. That's in verses 34 and 35 of chapter 8 of the book of Joshua. Finally, right before his death, Joshua wrote the stipulations of the covenant between the Lord and Israel in the Torah scroll, as a way of reminding the people never to deviate from its teaching and thus jeopardize their relationship to God. That's in verse 26 of chapter 24 of the book of Joshua. This underscores the significance of the Torah scroll now that Israel has occupied the land that God had promised. But that is the last we hear of the Torah scroll until the time of Josiah, a span covering hundreds of years. When Hilkiah, the high priest, blurted out that he had found the Torah scroll, that means that Israel had been without the scroll for an unthinkable amount of time. That would be like Christians finding a copy of the Bible in a church after several hundred years when the church had had no access to its scriptures. How could the Torah scroll have been lost in the first place? How could something so precious and essential to Israel not have been missed? How is it that over the years, no one bothered to ask where the Torah scroll was? These are haunting questions. They are so haunting that they explain Josiah's reaction to Shaphan's reading the contents of the scroll in his presence. All the secretary had said to King Josiah was, Hilkiah the priest has given me a scroll. But when Josiah heard its contents, he tore his clothes, a sign of extreme distress and mourning. This is in verses 10 and 11 of chapter 22. Then the king sprang into action. Because of what he had heard, he dispatched the high priest Hilkiah, his secretary Shaphan, Shaphan's son, and another royal servant on a mission to inquire of the Lord quote, for me, the people, and all Judah, end quote, relating to what was written in this newly found scroll. That's in verse thirteen of chapter twenty-two. Make no mistake, inquire is a strong word, virtually a technical term for ferreting out God's will in a particular situation. How one might divine the Lord's will in such settings might require various methods. One way or another, however, what God thought about that situation had to be ascertained. How crucial this mission was for King Josiah may be derived from his conclusion that Judah is already under God's severe judgment because no one had been obeying what is commanded in the Torah scroll for a very long time. That's in verse 13 of chapter 22. Saying that Josiah believed this was a desperate mission would be an understatement. In the Old Testament, one way of discerning God's will is seeking out prophets. That explains why King Josiah's contingent went immediately to consult with Huldah, a female prophet. Female prophets were rare in Israel. Perhaps the most famous one was Deborah. That's in Judges chapters 4 and 5. Isaiah's wife was also a prophetess, as is indicated in Isaiah chapter 8 verse 3, as was Miriam, Moses' sister, and that is in Exodus 15, verse 20. One is mentioned quite negatively as conspiring against Nehemiah in the book of that name, chapter 6, verse 14. Of these, however, only Huldah gives a bona fide prophetic oracle which begins with the well known words, Thus says the Lord. That's in verse 15 of 2 Kings, chapter 22. Miriam sang, and Deborah was a judge and military commander, but only Huda had an oracle in her resume. And what an oracle it was. It began with a thundering prediction of judgment, the very judgments that are enumerated in the Torah scroll itself. That's in verse 16 of chapter 22. This doubtless referred to the curse section to which Joshua alluded way back in Joshua chapter 8. Huldah continued her prophetic denunciation by cataloging Judah's sins. The people had forsaken the Israelite God and simultaneously burned incense to other gods. Burning incense had to do with worship practices. Ignoring their own deity while paying tribute to foreign gods Could not help but to enrage the Lord. According to Huldah, when God kindles the fire of judgment, it will not be quenched. That's in verse 17 of chapter 22. Having pronounced such dire judgment on Judah, Huldah next addresses Judah's king. Though Judah was collectively guilty, Josiah was their king and therefore complicit to some degree. If Judah had forsaken the Lord and engaged in idolatrous behaviors, Josiah was perhaps oblivious, or had turned a blind eye, or perhaps did some of the same things himself. In any case, until the Torah scroll was found, the only thing he was concerned with was repairing the temple's brick and mortar. Clearly, the temple needed a much more thorough sort of repair. Regardless of how important it was to maintain the physical properties of the temple, the very building which symbolizes the presence and power of God, nothing could match the necessity of a complete religious and spiritual reform. For that reason, Huldah sets her sights on King Josiah. Most of what Huldah says concerning Josiah is good news. He gets credit for having a tender heart and for humbling himself before the Lord. Plus, he earns high marks for having had people inquire of the Lord when he first heard the Torah scroll read. That's in verses 18 and 19 of chapter 22. Huldah even brings up the fact that Josiah ripped off his clothes and wept. Signs of contrition, moral anguish, and apparently repentance as well. Clearly, the Lord had heard Josiah and taken the king's responses into account. The rest of Huldah's good news relative to King Josiah evinces something of a mixed reaction. Josiah's reactions may have been mixed too, though we are not informed of what the king thought about the oracle's conclusion. All we are told is that Josiah received a report about what the prophetess had said. Huldah pointed out that King Josiah would be spared from witnessing the destruction which the Lord had in mind for Judah. Mincing no words, the prophetess referred to the evil that the Lord was planning. When divine judgment merits a word like evil, it is going to be extremely serious. And that's in chapter 22, verse 20. Fortunately for the king, God's grace will allow Josiah to be gone from the scene when the judgment strikes, in whatever form it turns out to be. But being gone from the scene means that Josiah will have died. The consolation is that King Josiah will be, quote, gathered to his father's, end of quote a euphemistic manner of speaking about death. To be more specific, Huldah says that Josiah will die in peace. At this point, it sounds as though Josiah's demise will be due to natural causes. Maybe the king will mercifully die in his sleep. In whatever way his death comes about, though, dying in peace beats a score of other, presumably more violent or painful, alternatives. Of course, we cannot forget that Josiah was only 26 when this was taking place. That would still be a relatively short lifespan, assuming that divine judgment was imminent. In any case, from the Lord's perspective, this is as much mercy as can be granted in light of the circumstances. Judah needs to brace for pending judgment and Josiah needs to resign to a premature death. does summarize the Torah scroll to a T. The covenant made after the exodus from Egypt between God and Israel had stipulated the terms of the agreement. It was transparent. If Israel worshiped God alone, obeyed the commandments outlining what it meant to be the elected people of God, and responded to the gracious acts that God already had done in Israel's behalf, the consequences would benefit the community in a variety of ways. Conversely, if Israel forsook their God, worshipped other deities, and disobeyed commandments indicative of a positive response to divine grace, the benefits would be transformed into deficits. If Israel's sin was extensive enough, persistent enough, and egregious enough, Israel might risk losing the land of promise. According to some prophets, that is exactly what had happened to the northern kingdom Israel. That had not yet happened to the southern kingdom Judah. But according to the Torah scroll, and Huldah the prophetess, it was only a matter of time. That was the bad news. The only good news was that King Josiah would not be around to watch. Next week, we will see that Josiah does not take Huldah's prophecy sitting down. Let me remind you at the end of this podcast to check out my website, faspina.com. And look for there soon menus of mini courses that will be offered throughout the rest of the year. I want to thank you so very much for listening to The Bible You Thought You Knew. I have a question for you. Do you have a question or topic that you'd like me to cover on the podcast? If so, all you need to do is head over to Apple Podcasts and do two simple things. One, Leave a rating and review telling me what you think of the podcast. Two, in that review, ask anything you want related to the Bible. That's all you have to do. Then, listen in to hear your question answered on a future episode. Join us next time on The Bible You Thought You Knew when we discuss Jesus' personal Bible. God bless.